That started today. That's today. Oh, it's Palm Sunday. Here we are, right? That's most of us, right? We are so used to this that it kind of sneaks up on us like Christmas and Easter's next week, if you forgot. And so like these things happen because we are so busy as a culture that we don't have rhythms and postures for our faith often anymore. In fact, as we want to talk about Holy Week, it's important for us to come to a piano. Is this going to work? Can you make it work for me, Jason? Do I need to do something? Oh, that's good. Is that pretty loud out there? Good. So, has anyone ever seen a child play piano? Yeah, Yeah. how do children play piano? This is good music. You guys want to worship to this? This is horrible, right? This is like horror movie being stabbed to death, right? Right? It's disorderly. It's chaotic. This is what we call noise, right? What about this? this one. Mm. See, can I do other? That's almost our God is an awesome God. Anyway, so what's the difference in that, right? What is this? This is order. The difference between this and this is rhythm and order. You understand? You're all looking at me like, what? We get it. We get music, right? Here's why this matters. Music unifies people. I understand that there's diversity in music and people fight over and it's like, mm, my hard rock band's better. Oh, Elvis didn't do much for music. Forget the Beatles. Look at, uh, mm, what are the guys? They had surfers. Beach Boys, right? All these people can talk about who's overrated and music can divide people. But in general, the largest gatherings in history in our lifetime and in our great-grandparents' lifetime have been over music. Thousands and thousands and thousands of diverse groups of people will gather together to listen to music. There's something amazing about music. Not noise. Not someone endlessly, meaninglessly blanging on drums and clanking on piano, but someone who's using music in its boundaries. It's almost like music was created to have some sort of order and bound to it. And even if you're like some music theory philosopher, it's like, well, it's all music, man. No, stop. No, it's not. Because people aren't paying hundreds of dollars to gather to listen to John Mayer or Ed Sheeran go, that's not what they're doing. They're paying for order and beauty and excitement. In that context, we can understand Holy Week. No one arguably understands rhythm, ritual, and meaning like the Hebrews, like the Jews. And I wish we had a ton of time to talk about the order that God gave them to worship him and the meaning behind all these things, but we are in a shadow of that and in a culture that has seen that fade quite a bit, and so we see these rituals of Easter and Holy Week and Monday, Thursday, they come and go, we forget about them. But as a church, we want to invite each other in to celebrate them. In the noise and chaos of your life, how do you find the music of order that unifies, that makes people stand in awe and find beauty. I submit you find that in rhythm and rituals, things like celebrating Holy Week. So how do you celebrate Holy Week? What does that look like in your life? We're going to talk about Palm Sunday here in a minute, right? But maybe as an individual, as a family, you're like, I don't, I don't know anything about that. I don't know how to celebrate that. I wouldn't even know what that rhythm ritual looked like. I am much more the clank, clank, clank on the piano person. The whole idea of having rhythm and unity boundaries. That's not how I function. But we all crave that. We all know that. We all know that you don't discipline a new pet by letting it do whatever it wants. You don't love a child by letting it do whatever it wants. You have order. You have boundaries. 
Now all of a sudden the world makes sense. So as we walk into Holy Week and we talk about that, I want you to be asking yourself, how this week am I celebrating Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection? How am I doing that? Because maybe that hasn't been on your radar all year. Because you've been busy and life has stunk and things have just been going on and you're not getting enough sleep and your family is terrible. This is the time now. Let's, let's have this be the week to bring the beauty and order, the rhythmical music of how God established the world to function into your life. There's many ways to do that. Uh, it's great that you're here at church. Thank you. I'm glad you're here, right? Welcome. That's what we're doing. So as we gather, as uh, memorial folk, as, as committed members, we say, hey, if we're going to be disciples of Christ, then we are people who worship God passionately, connect with each other authentically, grow to know God deeply, and go and declare the gospel boldly. That's who we are. Do that every Sunday. That's what we're all about, right? But maybe you're new to that. We want to help you, invite you into what it means to think about the Lord this week. There's a myriad of ways to do that. Um, Carrie has some handouts uh, for parents, some good things for kids. Uh, we're going to be posting. Excuse me, we're going to be posting on our website and on Facebook a Holy Week devotion I found from Paul Tripp that's really great, that's out this year, that'll be great for your family, for you as individuals. If you have the Bible app on your phone by YouVersion, open it. It is just enamored with different devotions right now to have you pause each day to think about who is Jesus, what are his teachings, what does his life, death, and resurrection mean in my life. We need these rhythms and rituals. As we talk about Palm Sunday this week, we're going to look at three scenes in the Bible. One of them is pretty conventional. You hear it every Sunday if you're a typical church-going person. You know we're talking about Palm Sunday. Hosanna, spoiler alert. That's what we're going to talk about. The second story is not as typically talked about on Palm Sunday because it's a downer. It's the first thing Jesus did when he walked into Jerusalem. In Matthew's gospel, he throws a temple tantrum. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. And then I told my wife I wouldn't say the phrase temple tantrum. (laughs) Dang it! Ugh. Um, that's okay. I, I read a theologian this week that was saying temple tantrum, and now that's in my mind. Anyway, we're going to talk about that story, and then we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper as Paul talks about the tension in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11, because I see a connection to these things. Then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We're going to come to the table, we're going to share the bread and the cup, and we're going to remember Jesus. So grab a Bible. We're going to start in Matthew 21, and I'm going to read. And we're going to, you know, again, these stories, there is... A hundred years of teachings and all these stories, thousands, and there are all sorts of implications we could unpack. Uh, we don't have time to unpack them, and so if I miss your favorite point for Palm Sunday, don't worry, we'll celebrate it again next year, and we'll get a chance to hit all the points next year as well, and the year after that. Thank God for these rhythm and rituals. Open to Matthew 21. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Palm Sunday. I pray today that you would guide us to have ears to hear, eyes to see who you are. That when we read your scripture of Hosanna, God, save us. That we would know what that means in our lives and how you have saved us. Help us to know the depth of your love, what your salvation means. Jesus, teach us to be people who are inclusive, who welcome outsiders. You show people the love that you've taught us to love. Protect us from being people who are so uppity and elite and perfect that no one feels like they can draw near. Lead us by your example, Father. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for your love for us. Amen. Matthew 21, here's the first scene. Take it in. Maybe if you've heard this story a whole bunch, then just close your eyes and listen. Think about this scene. Because this is a familiar story, but it's a weird story. So we're going to take it in. 
Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, they being Jesus and his disciples, his followers, and came to Bethphage, uh, there's a Hebrew way to pronounce that that you don't care about, but we mostly butcher it, but we'll say Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of the beast of burden. This is a weird story, right? I mean, I don't think anyone's ever taken something from you and then said, the Lord needs this, right? It's just strange. And what's even stranger about this is they haven't been to Jerusalem yet. So this is, this is all orchestrated. There's someone here in this city, right, outside of Jerusalem, who has a donkey and a colt. Someone has it. And somehow the Lord orchestrated that when they came and said, hey, the Lord needs this, Oh, okay, sure. Here you go. Imagine in a culture where uh, possessions, where animals uh, gave you an entire class system. It gave you honor. It gave you the ability to purchase things. Animals were super valuable. Things were very valuable to you. Possessions were such a huge deal. And someone just comes in and takes your Xbox or your $2,000 guitar or your favorite pellet grill and says, the Lord needs it. Thank you. Okay. You're just like, ah, right? It's a weird story. It's like a spy movie, like this secret, like if anyone says, you know, we're going to get the donkey. The Lord needs it. Oh, okay. You know, it's a weird thing, but Jesus orchestrates it. Why? Matthew whispers, because it's fulfilling prophecy. Who else rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem? Do you remember? Who? Uh, oh, let's start this. Does anyone know where this prophecy comes from? Footnote people, are you quick? Zechariah. Okay. Who else rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem? King David and Solomon right? This is a kingly thing to do. You ride into Jerusalem, uh, I think it's 2 Samuel 16, right? Uh, David's son kicked him out. He comes back in, restoring the kingdom, and then riding in on a donkey. There's a symbol here of kingship, and it would be absurd to the Romans, because Rome, Rome rules the roost, right? How do, how do Roman kings and, and how do Caesar guards, how do they enter? They enter on donkeys? No. Have you guys ever seen Aladdin? Prince Ali, right? Huh? Ali Ababwa. It's a party. It's a huge deal. You got to shake your hips when you say that movie, right? So it's a huge deal. Like, boom, you've got, you know, Robin Williams coming in. He's all blue and throwing stuff around. Or, or Will Smith. They're all excited. It's a huge deal. And this is a very different scene. Read it here, verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They, bought the don uh, they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is a circus. Don't, don't read this as just a common happening, right? There is a declaration of a king entering Jerusalem. The Romans would have seen this as, Wow, puny king. Stupid poor people throwing a bunch of leaves and dirty coats on the ground. Neat. You don't know who's in power. Right? 
But then we got to look at these other people who are involved. Who are his followers? Think, think with me. When you know what we talked about with the gospel, when we talked about his disciples, what kind of people were Jesus' disciples? Fishermen. Are they wealthy? No. What other people? Matthew was a tax collector. Are they respectable people that everyone loved? No. There's stories of Jesus talking to a Samaritan person, right? What's her gender? Her gender. It's a woman. Yeah, don't get confused, right? Right. She's a girl, right? There are all sorts of riffraff following Jesus. And in this culture, you have a circus of outcasts and scalawags walking into Jerusalem, buying a donkey, throwing their coats on the ground, getting trampled in the mud, in the dirt. They're cutting off trees and hacking these things. These trees are mutilated all over, waving branches. It's a circus of poor folk, bunch of crazies it looks like. This is not, we, we paint it up as this like, oh, this reverent scene. Man, what does it say when they get into Jerusalem? Is everyone like, ah, yes, the Lord. It says they were what? All who in city, they were stirred up. Does anyone have another translation? Upset. Upset? Turmoil is another, in some translations, says they were, they were in turmoil, right? Do you stir in your sleep and see that that's a good thing? If your kids get you all stirred up, are you at peace? Are you happy? No. Some of these people in Jerusalem, they're fired up. Why? Because this is where the elites live. They were closest to God. It's where the religious leaders were. It's where the uh, Roman leaders uh, for that area was. It's where Caiaphas was. Um, uh, all these important people were there. And then here you have this circus of scum coming in here. And what are they saying? Say it. Come on. Hosanna. What does Hosanna mean? Save us. I'm getting ahead of my notes. I'm getting emotional. It's an exciting thought. They are all declaring as this guy rides in on a donkey covered in dirty coats. They've rolled out this tapestry makeshift red carpet for this humble king. And they're saying, save us, son of David. Hosanna in the highest. They believe that Jesus has come to overthrow Rome, to be the Messiah. He's going to do business. We'll show you Rome. We'll show you who's really king. Their Messiah is going to come. He's going to wreck it. He's going to make it right. And they're saying, save us. And they have no idea what they actually need saved from. They're missing it. They're almost there. And here's the thing. You don't hear story of Jesus saying, no, no, don't say Hosanna in this way. Say it in this way. No. What's Jesus doing? He's humbly riding in with all these outcasts, with these women and children and fishermen and tax collectors, Samaritans, potentially Gentiles, all sorts of people. Jesus has welcomed them in. And it's the religious leaders and, and the elite class and other people, you read other versions of this, they're confused. They don't understand. Jesus is coming to unite people as a king who saves people. That's what they're saying. Save us, Hosanna. You're the Messiah. He's coming to save them. They have no idea what they truly need saved from. They think he's coming to do some sort of political uproar. That's scene one. This proclamation of Messiah, hoping they'll come to save him from Rome. They're shouting, save us. And Jesus is uniting these people. Scene two, what's the first thing Jesus does in Matthew when he gets into uh, he gets in Jerusalem? He goes into the temple. Uh, and so in some uh, Gospels, uh, this story's in all four Gospels, so is the uh, story of uh, the triumphal entry. All four Gospels tell this story. He comes in, and then he goes to the temple. Some people have the fig tree first, right? But then that's uh, another story for another time. Jesus goes into the temple, and when he goes into the temple, he really just loses it. He walks in, he can't, he can't 
oh man, he gets fired up, he starts throwing the tables around, and some of you have been in church for a long time, this is that weird story you don't know how to talk about, because it's like, you know, you're not allowed to just flip over tables in your house and make a whip and start flipping things around, right? But Jesus gets to do it, well, he's God's son, right? What is going on here? Let's read the story. Scene two, cleansing of the temple. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and, brought, uh, and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna, son of, God, son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these kids are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you read your Bible? <laughs> that never gets old. Like, Jesus, like, you, you read the Bible? Religious leader who memorized the Torah? You ever read it? Have you read, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? Uh, Joe, let's start showing some of these pictures. Yeah, this is a classic. Jesus got the cord, and he is just, man, he's lit. He's throwing stuff, and people are terrified. Is this how you like to think about your Jesus? Just walking in, you know what I mean? Man, if you're a Hebrew, if you're a Jew, you've seen daddy do this. Like that you get, you get mad and you start, da, 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 throws it, it's a big Hebrew thing. Throw your body and yell. Maybe you do that at home as a Western dad. It's, maybe I do, who knows. Show us the next picture. This one's a little more tame. This is like comic book version. This guy, he's baffled. He's like, ah, my money's being thrown around. And Jesus still's got the whip. Flipping tables. This is the more like the middle school version, right? It's a little tamer, um, not as intense. What's the next one we got? This one just made me laugh. I wanted to show you. <laughs> He's kind of like levitating the table. He doesn't need to grip it because it's hard to draw hands curling on things, I imagine. Uh, I don't draw things, and the birds are flying. The sheep are happy about it. You see that? They're pretty pumped. They got the food on the ground, and these guys are like, oh, what? Right? I thought that was funny. Anyway, move on. So, why is Jesus so upset? What's he fired up about? Assumably, it has something to do with the people he's in direct contact with, right? Money changers and those who are selling animals. Here is first century world. Let's start explaining it. Do you guys know what was going on during this time? Why are people gathered in Jerusalem? Passover. That's right. Normally, Jerusalem has, take a guess, take a guess. Uh, um, those who do uh, archaeological studies and stuff, they say Jerusalem had about this many thousands of people. How many thousands of people do you think live in Jerusalem about this time? 20? Yeah? Nope. Higher. 40? Close. It's 50. 50,000 people roughly live in Jerusalem at this time. You know how many people descended on it and camped around and were in the city during Passover? A, one million is about 150,000 extra people. So you're looking at 200,000 people in a week storming this city. Why? To celebrate Passover. More on that in a minute. Right? But they're also going to make animal sacrifices. And if you're coming in and you're from another location, if you've ever traveled in a foreign place, you go to the exchange booth, right? Do you feel like a lot of times you get a good exchange on your money? Ah, sometimes. Sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it's good. You hear stories of like, I could buy 50 cheeseburgers here for the cost of one there or whatever. But then a lot of times you're like, gee, many it's expensive to travel in the Holy Land. And it is. It's, uh, you know, it's exchange rates and stuff. And so these people, they were exchanging money in not so honorable way. And all these people during Passover would need to exchange their money. They would need to pay the temple tax and they don't want to pay the temple tax with Caesar's image on it. Why? 
because thou shalt not have idols, right? Graven images. So, so they don't want to pay the temple tax with Caesar's coins, so they got to exchange it. And they're not getting a one-for-one -one ratio. They're losing money. And the people who are doing this in the temple, are they making an extra buck on this? Yes. So are they worshiping the Lord? Are they celebrating the Lord? No, they're worshiping themselves and their pocketbooks. You also are coming, coming to make sacrifices to the Lord during this time, right? You're not going to take your little lamb all the way, you know, on a three days journey. You're just going to buy one in the courtyard there in the uh, uh, Solomon's portico is what they called it in this area. So again, they're exchanging these things. Now, what is the, uh, the specific table it mentions that Jesus flips over? The money changers and the seats of those who sold doves, pigeons, blades, right? Anyone else can make that noise? Come on, stay, with, stay engaged with me. Woo. Right, birds, why birds? Jesus is fired up here because these people are taking advantage. Hey, show the temple image. This is the temple, this will help. Whoopow! Hey, everyone give Joe a hand. He's so good at reading my mind. This part right here, the red roofed part, this is Solomon's porch or portico, right? And this is where Jesus would have flipped everything out. It's where he had his temple tantrum. He would have went in there, right? And so you come into the temple and you're in there. This is where you exchange money and pay the temple tax. This is where you buy the animal that you're going to sacrifice. This bigger area is uh, some of the area around, I get a little confused by this, but it's the Gentile courtyard. That's where everyone can gather, right? But to get there, they had to go through Solomon's porch. So the first thing that someone from the outside would have to do if they were even wanting to try to worship the true God would be having to go through this mess of getting, you know, taken advantage of financially, having be taken advantage of for buying an animal. Jesus is fired up. And he says, this is a house of robbery, house of thievery. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. The temple was supposed to be a place where we gathered to worship God. We gathered to pray for the nations, for all people to come together under the Lord. And these people had messed it up. These people had made it about themselves. And Jesus is fired up about it. And so he goes and he flips the tables, specifically the doves, because you all were reading Leviticus yesterday morning, so I know that you, you know what this means. Doves were the offering for poor people because they were cheap. In general, those of you who think about purchasing animals, do you think it's cheaper to buy a dove or a lamb? Yeah, right. It's a dove, right? So, so these people, Jesus, he specifically, Matthew points out, I think it's an interesting detail, he's specifically flipping over the chairs and the tables of the money exchangers and those who sold doves, pigeons. And those were the offerings for poor people because poor people were being taken advantage of. Poor people were being excluded. Gentiles, poor people, women, all sorts of people were being taken advantage of and not being able to worship God appropriately, especially during Passover. If you want to understand what fires Jesus up, read the Gospels, slowly read through Matthew, and, and understand the things that gets Jesus real fired up are when church people take advantage of his truth. Gosh, may we not be a church. May we stop being a culture that uses Jesus for stupid reasons. Jesus, Hosanna, is here to save us. Save us from our selfishness, save us from our ignorance, not give us the best America, not give us the best social dynamic that we think of, not make us wealthy and have nice cars and have the best job or the best political situation. That's not the Jesus that came into Jerusalem. That's not the Jesus who flipped over the tables. Because after he flips over the tables, who are the people that gather? Praise God, who are the people that gather? And the blind and the lame come into the temple and he didn't say, get out of here. You can't come in here. You're unclean. He healed them. And then later on, you have children 
running around the temple. You guys ever have children running around your temple? You know what it's like? Look in the corner. I know those kids, right? They're mine. We know what children are like in church. And these kids are running around saying, Hosanna to the son of David, right? And the religious leaders, they don't get it. They say, what's going on? Do you hear what they're saying, Jesus? You just caused this huge ruckus. You let the blind people in here and the lame people, all these ridiculous circus folk you brought into town. What are you doing? And now these kids are calling you Hosea, and, and Jesus says, do you read your Bible? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. The poor, the blind, the lame, the outcasts, women, children, no one would be treated less, treated unvaluable, would be pushed out of Jesus' kingdom. They're all welcome because of Jesus. And Jesus is here to show us, I'm welcoming all these people in through me. No one in this room, no one watching at home is too far gone. There's nothing that separates you from Christ except for yourself. You choose. You can say, I'm going to trust God. Hosanna, save me. I'm going to trust you. Or you can choose to keep pushing him away. Nothing else is preventing you. Not all your bad sin, not your addiction, not how messed up your kids turned out to be, not how broken your marriage is. Everyone who comes to Jesus, he heals them and he welcomes them in. And we have two stories here back to back where all these people who shouldn't be included are welcomed, welcomed by Jesus, particularly the poor. Jesus has a special heart for the poor. Turn, uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to look at scene 3. Corinth was a really diverse place. Tons of diversity. If we ever study Corinthians as a church, we'll talk about that. Uh, as a Roman establishment, all sorts of people and flavors and things going on in Corinth. And they're gathered together as the church. This is after Jesus died, resurrected. Uh, he told, uh, told his disciples to go out, go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all things I've commanded you, and I'm with you always. And then Jesus ascends, taking his rightful throne as king. All authority has been given to him. And then now we have the Christians gathering on Sunday like we do, and they've got a problem. Paul's ticked. What's he say? 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 17. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. So, imagine... Paul writing us a letter and saying, hey, Memorial, when you gather, it's not for the better, it's for the worst. I do not commend you. This is the scene, right? I'm not saying Paul's saying this strictly to us, but, but in, in a roundabout way he is, right? But this is, the, this is the attitude. He's telling their church, dude, you are missing it. And this is going to circulate to all these churches. Paul is ticked. Why? For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. This is a sarcastic hit at them. He's not saying this ought to be the case. He's saying, when you gather, you've established different settings so that people know who's good and who's not, right? Oh, you're the little tribe that happens to drink organic kale and sip coffee in this way. And you're the little tribe that has all the children and homeschools and your little tribe over here who, who has the lower jobs and you're the tribe. This attitude of like you've cast divisions. You've separated amongst yourself. Paul's fired up about it. 
When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you? No, I will not. So in this time, when we see the word church in scripture, are we looking at a building that meets at 915 on Sunday mornings? No, right, they didn't have that. So when they say church, the word church, ecclesia, it means what? Yeah, called out ones, gathering, assembly, right? Those who are together. So, um, in case you've never heard this, church is the gathering of those people coming together under Christ to follow Christ together as one to worship him, right? It is convenient and we thank God that we have a building and a consistent rhythm and ritual to meet on Sunday mornings at this time. They met on Sunday mornings to celebrate Jesus Christ rising from the dead. Thank God that we do that and for our building and all that. But those things aren't essential. What's essential is the people. You got me? Okay? Now, that doesn't mean that you can have church sitting in your home by yourself, because church is not individual, it's community, right? This is why we push, like, hey, have you joined a church? Do you need that community in your life. I could talk forever about that. I'm not going to get side rail on that, but we need this community. And Paul says when you gather as the church, you, uh, you're despising the church of God. You're humiliating those who have nothing. Here's the case. They would gather on Sundays to celebrate the Lord's Supper. They didn't do it by having a little bit of juice and a little bit of cracker, and that was it. It was a big meal. It was a, it was a whole day event. It was a party. And again, we've said this before. If you know Jews, if you've studied the Hebrew scriptures, you know who knows how to party? Hebrews. And this carried on into the Christian church. They understood, hey, we're going to gather, and this is a whole day, man. This is like, the party don't stop. You know, we just keep going. Bump it. Let's go. They were excited. And so what happened here on Sundays was that everyone still had to work, especially the poor people. You know, in our culture, we had a common, it's, we're losing it, but there was a common understanding for a while that you don't work on Sundays. You take weekends off. Most of you who have a job that's consistent, you want weekends off, or you want two days in a row off. If you're poor, and in first century, you don't do that. You work all day, you get off at five, so if you're having the Lord's Supper party, you're going at five. And what was happening in these wealthy people's houses where they had church, wealthy people had larger houses, they would invite them in, they started the party early. 9, 10, 11 o'clock, 1 o'clock. And so by the time that the poor people got there, they were dishonored and excluded because everyone else was eating and full. There was no more food left. They were drunk from drinking all the wine. They took this symbol of Passover. They took this symbol that God, Jesus, used to explain the meaning of his death, this meaningful thing of worship, and they turned it into something selfish for themselves to consume, to indulge in. And Paul's ticked. He says, you dishonor the church of God, humiliate those who have nothing. He goes on to say in verse 23, for I see from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. This, you're going to be familiar with this. This is the Lord's Supper. This is communion. He's about to quote Jesus here, talk about what happened. This is the meal that was going to happen on Thursday. We just read Jesus' triumphal entry. We just read him... Uh, turning over the tables. On Thursday, he gathered to celebrate the Passover meal. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Jesus was doing Passover with his disciples, which was a meal that they gathered together, the Hebrews had been celebrating, to remember when the Lord had, had uh, brought them Israel out of bondage, had brought them out of slavery from Egypt. And we could talk forever about the symbols of Passover and the meaning of it, but in general, God's people were enslaved, they were in bondage, and they were full of baggage. And the Lord spared them. What they would do is, is he, he told them, hey, if you slaughter this lamb and you paint the doorpost with its blood, then when the angel of the Lord comes to bring judgment on Egypt, then I'll pass over your house. The lamb's blood sacrificially put over to be passed over. So they would get, gather together and they would celebrate this meal, how the Lord spared them, how he brought them out of bondage. And when doing this, Jesus gathered with his disciples and he broke bread and he said, this is my body. This broken bread that you consume during this meal, this unleavened bread. He took this familiar analogy, this thing that they had been celebrating their whole lives, the Israelites, and he said, this actually has always been pointing to me. This is, this is me. This is my life. And he took the cup that they drank after the meal. He took the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins of many. So this is my blood. Jesus used these common themes to say, hey, do this to remember what's about to happen. And of course, in the church later on, they got it. They saw, hey, Jesus told us to do this. We need to remember that Christ was sacrificed, that he was killed so that we would be forgiven. The Hosanna that comes to save us, he saves us through taking on all of us, everything we've done, our sinfulness, and he dies. Jesus was crucified, he was buried, and then he resurrected. Amen. And what was happening in this time was people were using this as something to worship themselves, to celebrate. It was an excuse to eat too much, to get drunk. And Paul was saying, no, you're not going to adulterate this symbol that, that we've given you to remember who Christ is. Uh, it can bring judgment on you, Paul says later, to examine yourself because you are bringing disunity. And we've talked a lot about this in the church. Catch this. All of the world, your flesh, your sin, is trying, evil, demons, however you want to put it, is bringing chaos, disorder, disunity, breaking it apart. And we see over and over, Jesus bringing unity. Jesus brings unity by riding into the temple with all these people who don't belong. He brings them in. Thank God for that. Jesus brings glory by pushing over all these things, the money exchangers, the people selling things inappropriately. He says, no, 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 this is a house of prayer for all the nations. And he unifies. He brings the blind, the lame, and the children. Jesus brings unity. And then here, Paul's so upset because the church is bringing disunity. Church, we have to be a place where we are seeing the unity of Christ. May we always be guarded against taking these symbols, taking these things of the Lord and making them for ourselves. As we move to observe the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes, we are, uh, some of us are going to be tempted to maybe misread some scriptures or to put too much into the symbols and say, uh, you know, I, I got to really clean myself up. I got to take a minute to make sure that all my sins are confessed and everything's perfect in my life and maybe I need to, need to get all gussied up and this is, oh, just make it this huge thing. That's religion. That's self-worship. None of us are worthy to take the bread and cup on our own because the bread and cup are a symbol of grace, which is getting what you don't deserve. None of us are worthy of it. And so when we take the bread and the cup, we are immediately admitting we need to be saved. We need the Lord. And we are unified, everyone in here, 
needs King Jesus. The bread and the cup are about gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's about grace. They tell the story of Jesus, how he comes into the brokenness and the burdens and all the things that enslave us and how he makes us right. So this morning, as we walk into celebrating these elements, as we walk into doing this during our response time, I want us to be thinking about what does Hosanna mean to me? How has Jesus saved me? What, what has he saved us from? Because if he has saved you so that you can live your perfect life and try really hard and keep failing but finding all the ways you need to be more perfect, then it's still all about you. And you don't need a savior. You need to just keep trying harder. And that's not the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that you can't do it. The good news is that you acknowledge that apart from Christ, you can do nothing. John fifteen five. We need Jesus. And so when we come to the table today, when we come to the bread and cup, we say internally as a church, we say Hosanna. Hoshna. That's what they would say. Say Hosanna. Hosanna. Say save us, God. Maybe, maybe you're not saved. Maybe that language is so foreign to you, it's offensive. Like, I don't, don't be saved. Be saved. Maybe you're far from God. Thank God that he's given you this opportunity to watch from home, to be in this room today. As we go through this, this ritual, this rhythm, rhythm, this celebration, God has given you an opportunity to come to him. Just like all the outsiders in the Bible. Just like all the people in the temple who got to enter after Jesus cleansed it. No one here is unworthy. Everyone is welcome. And at the same time, we're all unworthy. And we're all welcome. It's the beauty of the gospel. Today, Jesus is calling you. He's saying, come to me. Come worship and be unified through me. He gives us righteousness, eternal life through his love. Here in a moment, we're going to walk into our time of response. We're going to sing a response song. During this response song, we've got elements uh, up here. They're uh, packages that have um, uh, cracker and some juice in them. Uh, during the response song, there's some different ways you can respond. Um, certainly, uh, if you're a believer and you want to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us, we'd like you to respond by coming and getting an element, uh, coming and grabbing one. You can grab some for your family. There'll be a few deacons in the back walking around to hand them out so that you know no one's having to rush up here for them. Um, but during the response song, take these elements and take time to understand in your life, Hosanna, save us God. How has the Lord saved me? What does it mean to remember Christ in this moment, his death, his resurrection? Take time to remember that. And then after the response song, after we sing together, we're going to read. Uh, we're going to read again Paul's words. We're going to take the elements together. We're going to pray and then we're going to worship together again. During this response time, you get your elements or maybe you need to give your life to the Lord. Maybe you need to join the church. Maybe you say, man, I need to get baptized. Whatever the Lord's doing in your life right now, this response, this is your time. It's your time to respond to the Lord. As we say, Hosanna, save us. We recognize that Jesus is bringing us all together. No matter how bad we think we are, no matter how distant we are. God, I pray right now that you would lead us as we walk into a time of coming to the table, of, of taking the bread and the cup and acknowledging that we declare, we proclaim your death and your resurrection until you come again to make all things right. I pray if there's anyone in this room who hasn't given their life to you, if, if there's those of us who feel far from you, who feel distant, God, that you would be ever drawing us near and reminding us that all outsiders are welcome before you because you've come to unify all of us, to make us right with God. Lord, help us remember that. Guide us as we remember Jesus now. Protect us from evil. 
Thank you for your love for us. to the bread and the cup in this moment. Here, here in a minute, we're going to have just some time of silence 
to pray. You can pray with those around you. Recognize that as you pray, as we gather together to receive the Lord's Supper, that what we're remembering and what we're declaring is Christ's death. That he died for us so that we could be right with God. That God loved us so much that he sent his son down to die for us. Who believes in him won't die but will have everlasting life. So we're going to have some silence here for just a minute. We're going to read some scripture. And then we're going to take the elements as a small point of interest in case you look at this and you're very confused. There are two flaps on it. There's a clear flap on the top. You peel that off, and there's a crack underneath that. There's a larger, thicker flap underneath that. You slowly peel that back, and you'll have access to the liquid underneath. So let's have some time as we prepare and think about the Lord. see from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup, and after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, thank you for this moment that we get to gather and remember you. We get to come to your table to share the bread and the cup. Thank you for the way this symbol ripples through time and space and we're gathered with all believers who have worshipped you in this way. God, I pray that you would guide us as we remember you and that that moment would ripple far beyond these few moments here, but we would remember you in our entire lives. Thank you for your love for us, Father. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. On the night that the Lord shared this Passover meal with his disciples, it said that after they had... um, eaten the bread and drank the cup, that they sang a hymn together. We're going to worship together, uh, sing a song together, and then move towards closing the service. your voices.
As we like to say, the response time isn't over. If these elements, if this all is confusing to you, if you don't know Jesus, if you're considering, man, what does it look like to be a part of a church? Uh, What does it look like to be a part of this community? Whether you're watching from home, you're in this room, we want to talk to you about it. And so uh, you can continue to respond to what the Lord's telling you after service. You can find me, um, grab someone in the room, uh, we'll talk to you about Jesus tell you what it means for him to save us. Hosanna. We're going to move into a time of uh, announcements and discipleship opportunities and things that are happening. So Carrie's going to tell what's us happening? what's happening. What's happening? Carrie? Um, our uh, discipleship question this week that you can go over with your family sometime while you're driving or eating or shopping or I don't know what you guys do when you're not here, but Find a time this week to go over this question. This is a good one. Can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? Since the fall, no mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but consistently breaks it in thought, word, and deed. So I don't know if that's comforting that we're not alone, (laughs) or if it's a challenge to be more like Christ, or maybe both. Maybe both. So... Today we have um, life groups right after this. If you haven't joined one yet, I'm going to keep bugging you. Um, There's a paper in the back on my desk that will help you find just the right match for you. You can swipe right or swipe left, go a couple different Sundays and try them out, you know. But uh, once you find the right one, I hope that you'll stick with it and, and just have a group of people that you are sharing your life with in what's going on with your life, how to pray for you, and studying the Bible together. Also, we have an egg hunt today. So if you are in fifth grade or under, (laughs) Mr. Ralph, it's not for you, okay? Fifth grade or under, you have to be able to bend over and pick up the eggs. Oh, I'm just, yeah, I'm just teasing. Okay. (laughs) Actually, my aunt asked me yesterday at the barbecue if she could come, and Jason told her she had to be able to bend over and pick up the eggs to come, so... Had that fresh on my mind. Um, (laughs) So 12 o'clock, playground. We're going to have egg hunt. During Sunday school, teenagers, you're going to be with me today. um, And we're going to hide eggs. So I will meet you in the youth room. Then next Sunday, we're going to have Easter at 9.15. And then the deacons are preparing a breakfast for us after the service. Though there will not be life groups next week. There will be feeding, fellowship. That's what we do because we're Baptists. And so we're going to have food and it's going to be our first food since COVID unless you count the church picnic outside. So first inside meal. (laughs) So first step. Um, Also on Friday for Good Friday, there's going to be some sort of video sent out um, that will help walk us through Good Friday. So you can do that in your home with your family. Um, we won't have an event this year. So. Coffee. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say it. I'm all over it, Miss Laura. You wouldn't believe how over it I am. Um, we, uh, the last several Fridays, Building Community Bridges has been here um, serving, uh, doing uh, fried fish fundraiser things, and they left us a very nice note downstairs thanking us for using our facility. If you're downstairs and you see that, BCB is for Building Community Bridges, and that's an awesome organization. They're doing a lot to connect with the neighborhood and our missions team. We're constantly figuring out how we can support them and grow with them uh, in Christ. So if you see that note downstairs, or if you happen to see Building Community bridges around, uh, try to connect, see what's going on, and uh, help us know how we can best continue to connect with them. That's a cool thing. We also mentioned uh, this is Holy Week. If you have no idea what to do with that, Carrie's got some resources for you and your family. We'll be posting some things on Facebook today and tomorrow. Uh, there's always the discipleship resource over here. We're trying to grow in rhythms and postures. May our lives not be clanky, clank, clunks on the piano unrhythmically and annoyingly, but may they be music that God has woven together in a tapestry of beauty for the rhythms of life. Music and tapestry, all in one analogy. Wow. Those of you rug makers out there are pumped. Um, so all the musician rug makers out there are like, ooh, you're speaking my language. Um, man, there was something else I was going to say. And I, Coffee! I said I was going to say, if you're here and you like coffee or you just like hot beverages or you like people or you're severely introverted and can't stand people, we want to connect with you because we're one body and God has given us this time to connect. He's brought you here for a reason. So we'd invite you to come downstairs and just mingle, chill, congeal with us. We're going to be in there and just kind of exist together, right? So I've uh, got coffee down there. It'll be a good time. We want to meet you. Uh, that's it. We're going to pray. Hosanna. Save us. Think about Palm Sunday this week. Think of what it means to be included. Because as we go out this week, may God lay people on your mind that are excluded, that feel distant, that feel far from God. May we be unifying the world in Christ by inviting them in, bringing them in. Bring people here next Sunday. Invite them in. That's one simple way you can do. Bring people here. We'll talk about the gospel. We'll get to know them. May we be bringing the unity of Christ in Christ through Christ. Hosanna. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that we get to gather and celebrate your life and your teachings through Jesus. We pray that you would help us remember so much of our life is forgetting, God. You tell us so often to remember these things, to, uh, to remember to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. May we be your body who is doing that in all areas of our life. Give us postures and rhythms and rituals that guide us. May we be welcoming of those things, God. I pray that you'd lay people in our lives this week, this day, that, that we could be bringing in just as you welcomed outsiders into the temple, just as you welcomed people into Jerusalem, just as you welcomed people to your table. God, may we be a church that does that. Help us to constantly declare and remember that you save us. Hosanna. You save us. Thank you, Father. We love you. May your kingdom come. And you